0: Let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's up guys? Welcome back to To Obscure for TV, a weekly show in which David and Dean, my lovely co-host, hello. We explore movies in uh, kind of, uh, you know, we like looking at things that aren't always the most popular choices. Or the most mainstream choices, like have gotten mainstream as of late. Eh, we'll figure it out. I mean. Basically, you know, we're back with uh, another episode. We're going to be looking at some other movies that you may or may not have heard about over the past few years. uh, Particularly through the lens this week that we are going to be exploring Nicolas Cage's career as of late. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but he's kind of been in some good shit lately.
1: Yes, Nicolas Cage, who I think everyone can agree is a great actor... Who has picked some pretty bad movies to be in for like a solid decade?
0: Yeah, so this is we we've basically chosen four movies. They stood out to us. Is what what really is going on here? And I think all of them have merit. It'll be kind of a choose your fighter situation at the end of everything. Mm-hmm. But we'll probably at some point run down the IMDb because I, what I'm kind of interested too is this career arc that has been forming it, it, it seems a bit like an it should be the career of an actor on the comeback of sorts some of the choices that he's made but when you look at his imdb and kind of think about everything all together it's like does he really need that or you know maybe he's just making personal career choices for a challenge or i don't know maybe we'll figure it out maybe we won't because we don't have a direct line to nicholas cage not yet but check us out next week. We might get him on the phone. Yeah. Well, the four movies that we are going to be taking a close look at. Uh, we start off with Mandy in 2018. Color Out of Space, I believe, is 2019. Yes. And then we move on to the very close present day with earlier this year, Willy's Wonderland. And then after this, only a few by only a few months, is Pig,
1: which is very interesting because these are all drastically different films yeah and he is portraying drastically
0: different people yeah you know i was like i said at the beginning i was interested mostly because when you look at all these movies i'm like okay he's struggling for money can't get type is too typecasted you know he can't get roles in certain things mhm or the third which i think is really the, my hypothesis that will survive all this He genuinely just likes taking out projects that are interesting (laughs) to him. I don't know. I would agree with that. I think Nick
1: Cage, at this point in his career, can just do whatever he wants. I mean, granted, he did do a lot of movies because he had, like, money trouble with the IRS. Because that's what happens when you buy a private island and forget to pay your
0: taxes. Yeah, actually, run through that real quick, Dean. Because you told me about this, I had no idea... Nick Cage got in trouble with the IRS. And what was the laundry list of things that <laughs> Mr. Nicholas Cage put into his accounting books? Okay, so Nicholas Cage
1: bought a private island. He bought two Cobras and tried to write them off in his taxes as an acting aid. Uh, he also bought, I believe it was a prehistoric bear skull that he broke while playing pool with Sean Bean. Uh, other than that, he owned. I don't know, like, three or four, like, McMansions. He also owned a castle in Bavaria. Like, a legitimate, like, 18th century castle. He owned it. And all these other things you would buy. He was also one of the few people I know of that owned a 9.2 copy, or a 9.0 copy of Action Comics number one, which is The First Appearance of Superman. Right. Which currently cost about $3 million. He also owned Detective's 27, first appearance of Batman, both of which were stolen from his home.
0: You know, I do yeah, I do I do remember that story. I remember you telling me that. To put
1: it mildly, he blew a lot of money for a long time. And huh. then, you know, act. you know, the taxman comes around and they're like, hey, you owe us like six million dollars for for back taxes. Yeah. And that kind of meant that Cage had to sell some stuff. Fix some stuff, and also appear in a lot of movies that were probably not exactly great career choices, but paid well enough, which is why right. you get him in stuff like The Runner or Dying of Light or Left Behind. Maybe you that's even why you get him in the film Season of the Witch or Sorcerer's Apprentice or G-Force as a talking gerbil.
0: Yeah. There's, there's yeah. a few here, right? Oh my god, yeah. Like if you run through his IMDb, I like I said earlier, it basically goes from this moment where he's a movie star, like run of the mill. He's starring in the blockbuster hits, that being what everybody knows him for, a National Treasure. He was then, in Con
1: Air, you know, The Rock. Right. Uh, he right. won an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. He was a,
0: he was a big movie star. Yeah, he is responsible for Ghostwriter. Uh, yeah the original marvel push that never really quite got off the ground the one that stands out aside from his really earlier things where he was a younger more you know interesting actor as it were because obviously when he was younger he did certain things leaving las vegas he is technically in fast times at richmond high something we have watched recently yeah which is interesting this is a bit part raising arizona is one that he's very well known for moonstruck Exactly. You know, there's some interesting stuff. Con Air and Face Off are are cheese masterpieces. Wild at Hearts a David Lynch movie, people.
1: But yeah, so Nicolas Cage had a very prosperous and pretty strong career as as a serious actor for a long time. He gets in some money trouble. He starts appearing in some pretty bad movies just for the money. But the key here is Nicolas Cage does not collect a paycheck. He is a thespian and he acts his ass off in all these movies in every movie we mentioned he is giving a hundred and ten percent effort in that film he is not phoning it in
0: it's certainly interesting because like you know one thing i noticed in in the four movies that are later in his career more in the present that i've really noticed stark lack of dialogue that's something that, that, that if we had to connect all these movies together and what they really are, that's what I've noticed most. Some of them are more stylistically done for that reason. One has no dialogue at all. And all of what it does is really get you to focus on Nick Cage as like a more physical and emotional actor than a line reader. Which is what a lot of people, when they think of acting, think it requires.
1: Yeah, r- hit my marks, read my lines, and leave the scene. But acting is a lot deeper than that. You know, it's embodying a person. It's portraying emotion. It's digging into the mentality of
0: another human being and trying to become that human being. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, so this was kind of also Dean's brainchild, right? Dean is quite fascinated with Nicolas Cage and recommended a couple of these movies on the list. Yeah. We we both recently saw Pig, which is a fantastic film that happens, actually, to star Nicolas Cage in the main role. Well, frankly we run the gambit in this in this group and i think it's best if we just kind of let's let's do a little rundown of each and then let's go chronologically through and try to follow what what nick and ourselves are getting out of each movie uh, so let's see here we start off in 2018 like we said with mandy which is nick cage and his girlfriend i think it's never explicitly stated uh they live out in the forests of The Shadow Mountains. The the Shadow Mountains out in the Mojave Desert. That's what it was. And, uh, you know, some weird things can happen out in the place called the Shadow Mountains, especially out in the forest, where a group of hallucinogenic, culty... Hippie dudes show up. Yeah. They see Mandy, the girlfriend of our main character, walking down the road one day, and the cult leader's like, I gotta have her. So what do they do? Show up to the house and crucify-esque kind of this thing to nick cage and kidnap her and the rest of the movie follows after the failed attempt to take her because of some embarrassment and a murder to get revenge on these cult leaders and the mysterious forces lurking in the forest which are bdsm bikers high on lsd or something like these mad max mutants mixed with the teenage mutant ninja turtles who knows uh and you know, find some closure for for this love of his life, Mandy. But all the while, we get this really gritty, dark, brooding tone and style out of the mind of. Uh... Say his name again. It was <laughs> he is a Cos- he's a Greek uh, director, Panos Kosmatos. Yeah, I almost want to say Pathos Kosmatos because it feels a little bit more appropriate to the to the <laughs> it's the Pathos persona. man. Yeah, but that so that's an interesting one. And then on from that, we get uh, a color out of space film. We've talked about this actually on our previous podcast double feature before. A uh, name escapes me. um, The original Lovecraftian. It's a Lovecraftian horror movie based on the original uh, short story "Color Out of Space" by H.P. Lovecraft, but done in in a, a current, like very quite visually well done style by richard stanley who is dean is very fascinatingly known to be fascinated for his responsibility in another <laughs> film uh the island of dr moreau if you get a chance watch documentary
1: the island of lost souls the making of Island of dr moreau it is fascinating
0: quite to just see how a movie can go so very wrong and that, that adaptation closely to the story follows a family that Moves to the uh, wilderness. Of, uh, it's Oregon or something like this, correct? Middle of nowhere, middle yeah, of nowhere, America. That, not really it's, ever it's stated. It's somewhere in like Massachusetts, actually, because it's by Arkham. Uh, probably, yeah. And we follow the water surveyor technician that is investigating a weird, these weird tests that result in these quite alien-like transformations in the nature of the surrounding area, of which Nicolas Cage is the patriarch of that family. Very quite interesting one. He kind of plays a side character in it, but nonetheless is quite commanding in it. Uh, Then we move on to Dean's probably favorite of this bunch, really. It's the one I found on Hulu that I didn't know what it was, and I was the most surprised by. Yeah, quite surprised by it. Willy's Wonderland is a B-movie pastiche piece of action gory glory. In which we follow Nicolas Cage as a voiceless main character who, his after his tire pops, burning on the highway, he, as a result of not having cash on him, has to barter with the locals to get his car fixed. So they have him clean up a, an abandoned family fun center that is inhabited by some devil animatronic monsters uh, and some pinball machines and pop. <laughs> And a, after a group of kids try and, and, and terroristically destroy the monstrous uh, playpen, Cage steps in to save the day, and one girl, whose fateful past, ties her to the lo- location. And finally, that brings us to probably my favorite movie on this list Pig of this past summer, in which Cage plays a retired gourmet chef turned truffle pig hunter who, after his pig is kidnapped, goes back into civilization from being a recluse to find the pig, only to find out that sometimes society can be disappointing. These are a very interesting selection of films. Again,
1: as back to the beginning, the reason we picked these is because they're so different from each other. And they're really pointing out probably what Nicolas Cage's career is turning into. Because people have been calling him the new king of beef movies which kind of falls in line with Mandy and Colorado Space and even Willy's Wonderland but Pig is Pig is almost like an an art house Oscar bait film.
0: Yeah, kind of because that's an interesting bit is each movie is is stylistically different though connected in a certain way. Like Mandy, we started with that like autrish horror film. Yeah. Cuz it, it's it's incredible and it, it's very heavy in the director's influence and he does a fantastic job of putting it all together oh yeah color out of space is a similarly auteurish though an adaptation so it's a little bit of while being an interpretation at times feels like a love letter kind of to this uh, piece of literature willie's wonderland is straight up b-movie like i i feel like that's what they were going for and it works and at times also adopts b-movie production tropes that would thoroughly keep it in that category. And then Pig... We talked last episode about how Titane won the Palme d'Or, and I'm wondering how this didn't win, win it. I mean, <laughs> you know, th- this movie was thoroughly breathtaking. I watched that in
1: the theater, and my my brother who was with me, like, started to cry at the end. He needed a minute before he can leave the theater. Yeah. That movie is, is a gut punch
0: of emotion.
1: But, David, we're... Should we just get
0: started talking about these movies in, in Honest? Yeah, kind of, because the conversation will be a little bit, like, about the movies, but I want us to stay focused on the Cage himself. The Cage. And in Mandy, you know, he plays... Red. Yeah, Red, who is a pretty cagey character in himself, you know? At times, quite endearing, which I think Nicolas Cage can take on, but just as well is is hamming up and taking on this aggressive nature that i think cage has deep inside of him Mm -hmm. all while being put through just i mean when i say the ringer that's an understatement like this is probably the most punishing story i've ever seen
1: oh god with all the the rough shit he has to go through nails through the hands barbed wire in the face crashing his car he It's the story of a guy turning into Jason Voorhees and seeking revenge on
0: the Scooby-Doo gang. That's a cartoonish way to put it, but I I think it's about pretty much what it is. Because, you know, the whole story focuses, I think we discussed this before, on Cosmanos in an earlier film, that which is uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Which I actually watched, and it's great. So, yeah, that's interesting because both movies focus on, like, this anti-psychedelic theme and more explicitly stated as i saw uh Cosmato say that he does in that movie that movie the title literally being about something where he thinks humans try to chase something that is unattainable after a certain point and then mandy is kind of this thing where i think he revisits the theme but from maybe a more mature standpoint mm-hmm. because yeah like the 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 cult that is doing all of the hallucinating and sex culting or whatever is going on there, does feel a little bit scooby Dooish at times. Like, they, aside from the cult leader, are all just kind of these goons who don't add a whole lot of, of depth to that dynamic. But the, the leader himself, uh, namely played by, I think I'm getting this right, uh, Linus Roach, as Jeremiah Sand, yeah, commanding performance in this, like, at times really convincing persona but at other times like dog between their dog with tail between his legs you know he's bouncing
1: around from this charles manson like like the image people have of charles manson of him being like this monstrous all-powerful cult leader that seduces and and taints the minds of everybody he talks to man and into this really insecure man-child who just wants to be powerful, which is probably closer to actual Charles Manson. But I digress.
0: Well, you know, the digression is worth it, because ultimately, what I think I really would have liked to have seen out of this film, other than the fact that Nicolas Cage does eventually get into a chainsaw fight... It's in the trailer, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. There are This movie was praised for its action sequences, and I think it... Totally deserves it because while it's choreographed at times, it also stays inside of visceral mm-hmm. and, and, and executes it perfectly. I, I would have also liked to have seen times where, you know, the the character Mandy gets these moments such as one really good moment where she's talking to Jeremiah and he's giving her the, the cult elevator pitch as it were. Yeah. And you get this really interesting, like, straight-on-camera monologue that fades between their faces. Really, like, a really arty and feely moment of the movie that is already thoroughly rooted in its feelings. You know, this is all about the feel. And I, I wish Cage could have gotten a little bit more of that. Dude, one of the best performances
1: in here... Of him, you know, getting into that emotion, that feel thing is when he's in the bathroom with that ball of vodka. I
0: totally agree. Yeah.
1: Okay. I guess this is the first point where we get to talk about Cage as an actor in earnest here. Mm -hmm. Because we have in this moment, right after Mandy is killed, we have Red going into the bathroom. He pulls out a ball of vodka and he's just like powering this thing down, pouring it on his like barbed wire cut hands. He's in his underwear and like a t shirt. And he's going through all these stages of grief, of of anger, depression, like this utter misery, all before our eyes in a single unbroken shot. And it's an unbroken shot where the camera never moves; it just holds.
0: Yeah, kind of on this like Wes Anderson esque wide, where like the, the you can see the boxiness of the room, and you're really just on that fourth wall, like clinging on like a fly. And Nick
1: Cage is just performing to the audience and there's not a line of dialogue
0: but you feel everything it it is fascinating and you know maybe maybe i'm eating my words a little bit because there's a shot before even this where he sees the ashes of his lover's corpse whisk away in the wind where i was like okay that's one of the most poet poetically sad shots i think i've ever seen in a movie but then he goes back in and watches a commercial for the cheddar monster (laughs)
1: oh yeah the cheddar goblin
0: yeah the cheddar goblin and then that then the bathroom scene happens and i think there are a lot of moments like this where at first you're like what the fuck is going on and then there's a preceding scene where like oh okay i see what's going on here because that was i was waiting for the catharsis to happen and him to break down into this rageful like desperate uh nile whatever you would want to call it just break down into a mess and it finally happened Barring I just wanted him to take that vodka bottle and just fucking smash it against the wall or something. I mean, you you wanted that smash, right? Oh, my God. They should if they could have made him go further, I, I, I would have loved to have seen it. And it's more because I just wanted more of it.
1: Honestly, that's the crazy part, because that is not a short sequence. It's like a couple minutes long and it is so good. And that's the thing that might be the the acting height of this film. But it still goes on into this weird, trippy, action-horror thing. It almost reminded me of, like, this is, I guess, to parallel another actor who has got a career resurgence. This is, like, Nicolas Cage's John Wick. It's a revenge story, it's some action beats, Nicolas Cage lumbering around with, like, a crossbow, a chainsaw, and the coolest axe I have ever seen in cinema.
0: Yeah, I could agree, because, you know... Keanu Reeves and Nicolas Cage have this, like, laid-back, Californicated attitude to both of them. And maybe it is one of those things where, like, Keanu Reeves being the more commercialized actor goes for that, though I know he took stabs at indie things along the way, and some of them were worth it. Nicolas Cage definitely feels like he would go more this route, ultimately. he He's much more interested in visceral, aggressive roles, uh, especially when they get to explore emotional depth like this, because... You know, another shot that I think is one of the best in the movie is towards the end, after we get this, like, fabulistic descent into Nicolas Cage being the knight of darkness. Yeah. uh, And and descending into the valley of the shadow of, uh, (laughs) you know, whatever the fuck. Um, When he's driving away at the end, and we get this, like, almost GoPro-like wide of him staring back at mandy and he's like it's a hallucination probably honestly who knows at this point because he like the final shot being that he drives off into the fucking i think they that's probably the abyssal layer as they call it right
1: probably and he has like this big shit-eating white grin and he's covered in blood
0: kind of i you know i didn't even read it as shit-eating grin i read it as just like he's baffled that like her angelic presence is actually bestowing before his eyes. Like there was, there was a bit of like actual, I could feel the character being like, I'm glad I was able to do that for you. And that's like how I will define my life from now on. It was kind of really powerful.
1: Oh no, it's a powerful scene or it's like a powerful image. It's just one of those things where it's, it's kind of goofy because Nick Cage is just wide eyed, giant grin on his face
0: and just a little goofy looking maybe i don't know i I don't know about the grin i don't i I don't see as a grin but you know this is a movie about interpretation certainly so i'm I'm willing to accept that that was how you took it
1: yeah i mean like mandy is also a great film on its own because it uses this really weird interpretation of like the hero's journey and it's this fascinating deconstruction of that story arc and it's just it's a great movie and it's visually beautiful and the soundtrack is fantastic and Nicolas Cage is like that that cherry on top of the sundae that just ties it ties everything together
0: certainly and um, you know I I think that's a good stepping off point to the next uh, the next step of his career where we get to color out of space yeah he's not he's not the main character in this movie but plays one of the the top characters or or however you would put this in, in casting
1: one of the major characters. He's the dad.
0: Yeah, it's the patriarch of the family and the story. And this is another one where we certainly get... Well, we got an aggressive and emotionally deep Cage in Mandy, I think we get this like ability for Nicolas Cage to make you uncomfortable. Because it, it's supposed to do that. Like, he, he is going insane in Colorado Space. And even at some point completely deconstruction to something some otherworldly spirit type thing i don't know he becomes the antagonist like halfway through because this color
1: is just tainting him and it's interesting because we get to see Nicolas cage kind of playing a a villain or a corrupted person
0: who becomes the villain yeah kind of a tragic villain maybe in a way or if there's such a term anti-villain where he he doesn't want to and the audience doesn't want him to slip further into madness but it happens as anyways a result of the, the dark and in brooding forces that occur in the story lovecraftian in that way because you know the whole thing is about not having control over the universe you know but uh yeah you know this was when we watched a while ago and it's kind of just a stepping stone in this career for me cuz i was more fascinated by the what Cage was put through in the movie than actually what Cage did in the movie. Mm. Like, there were moments that were, were thoroughly compelling, such as when he kisses his demorphed, is a word I'll use, wife on the mouth. <laughs> yeah, when she's like an alien thing at that point fused to her son. Or when he like teleports through the house at the end, chasing after the main character who's like trying to hide from the color. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's at least one of those things where I'm like, I wonder maybe what the approach was to get Nick into the movie. Nick, here I am on a first name basis. Right. And then afterward, like what Cage's goal was in doing the movie. Cause this is, I think another thing I'm trying to explore is like motivations for, you know, why actors take on these projects. Right. Well, for this one, Richard Stanley had approached
1: SpectraVision to do a three-picture um, trilogy based on H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. And the first one in the series was going to be Colorado Out of Space. Elijah Wood had worked with um, Nicolas Cage on Mandy, because these are both SpectraVision films. So my assumption is Nicolas Cage was brought on because Nicolas Cage, even you know at this point, is still name value. I guess now yeah. we're in his, like, the cage of right? Well, people will go to a movie just because it's a Nick Cage movie, and they want to see what weird shit he does. But Color Out of Space, at that time, there was name value, so it was probably, like, we want a named actor in the film, bring him on here. And Nicolas Cage, being Nicolas Cage, shows up and is like, I'm not taking a check. I'm a thespian, damn it. Yeah. Oh. For God's sakes, my last name is Coppola. So, comes in and does the business. But... I think you're giving him like not enough credit here because I still think Nicolas Cage plays a really intriguing character as father Gardner or uh, Nathan because he's this character who is trying to be a good dad and he's a little eccentric and he's a little weird, but at the heart of it, he's this person who is really tormented by being a disappointment to his father and that is culminating in the fact that he starts talking like him when he starts berating the rest of his family. And he's really showing how somebody's brain degrades in the face of this color. He's really who who we are getting most of the horror quote-unquote from in terms of that cosmic sense where this thing is changing who you are and how you perceive the world around you. And then you get, like, the body horror stuff where it's um, Therissa and Jack getting fused together. You have Lavinia who is, you know, doing all the witchcraft stuff to hide herself and all that and to help everybody. But it's all, like, creepy. Yeah. But Nathan, I feel we're getting that real psychological downfall. And also the thing where it's, like, that weird snot thing that crawls off his arm into the into the sink just freaks me out. It's just
0: creepy. Yeah, it's a thoroughly creepy movie. I mean, and uh, you know, I I still can't believe that Tommy Chong is the one that's that's in the movie.
1: Yeah, Tommy Chong.
0: Gotta love that. It also ma- that also makes one of the creepiest sequences in the movie. But yeah, you know, I get it's like a, it's a pretty classic interpretation of like the the it feels like that fifties paranoia kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like you have nuclear family and then as the red scare or insert other thing here that is ultimately a metaphor for that. The one the body snatchers show up. Yeah, the family deconstructs and this is what happens. And I think he does do a good job at being like the the classic dad who is trying to keep family together and ultimately drives the family apart. You know, maybe I'm it could just be my memory and not giving him enough credit for it because it was a while ago that we watched this as well. And I would still recommend it to anybody who's looking for some Nicolas Cage fodder to work through because it is good at the end of the day it's also a thing the movies super deep because it does deal with the implication of like disease
1: how a disease can ruin a family that was one of the big theme things we talked about during this episode when we were doing the double feature because i think i think we've been
0: on record that this is one of the more deeper kind of movies we talked about that's true because i could see the whole thing also being a metaphor for like maybe the mother developed cancer or some sort of other g- de- degenerative or chronic disease and as a result like the kids don't get to see their mother as much and dad tries to get them to still love their mother but that just in turn makes them afraid of their mother and then the body horror kind of further in- envelops the the larger metaphors of those relationships falling apart or blowing up or whatever it's certainly an interesting entry on this list and one I definitely recommend in the middle of October. Yeah,
1: great Halloween episode.
0: Oh yeah. Another one that is recommended for October, though maybe not for its <laughs> its depth or masterpiece status. Yeah willie's wonderland which nicholas cage is the best part of this movie is how i will preface that he's like the only <laughs> part of this movie what do you mean <laughs> okay well then i'm glad you feel the same way because part of me was like i don't know if dean likes this movie as a whole or not
1: okay i'm gonna go on record willie's wonderland is fun it's really dumb but it's a lot of fun i'm not gonna say oh man this is mm, kino new best thing since like breathless it's just kind of a fun turn off your brain and watch Nick Cage annihilate animatronic monsters.
0: I agree, especially because my review of the movie is it's a crappy B-movie that gets a really good production team and a star. Other than that, nothing like problems where I'm like, this movie is terrible. It's more like it makes for the fact that it's dumb, poorly made, and a B-movie. But at the same time, All comes together to a quality where there was a certain point where I was like, are they trying to make fun of B-movies inside of this B-movie? Because that would make this movie a lot more worth it for a critical person. But at the end of the day, the fact of what it is is that it's supposed to be fun, and it is fun.
1: I mean, I'm looking at it like this. Have you ever seen those old, like, trauma movies, like Toxic Avenger? Yeah. Okay, this is what it kind of reminds me of, where it's really this weird, abstract kind of send up to these horror films. Because the movie's super basic. Guy comes into town, gets drawn into this haunted house, but it's a haunted, you know, amusement like place or kids' fun zone with animatronic characters. Yeah. And he has to survive the night and, ooh, spooky shit. <laughs> but then it turns out that he's trapped in there and he's got this handled. He's roundhouse kicking these animatronics, he's killing them. He's also disco dancing in front of a pinball machine while powering down energy drinks. It's a movie that just has ridiculous dialed all the way up and I feel the filmmakers were like, "You know what, screw it. We got Nick Cage, we got a couple weeks in this building. Let's just go for it. Who cares if it's art? It's fun." And I think that's what this movie really
0: is coming down to. It's not looking to be art. It's looking to be fun. And that's the thing that I find fascinating about Cage accepting this movie, right? Mm -hmm. Because of all the movies on this list, this is not one where he's going to show off his acting chops. Yes, because of the result of what we got. But when when conceptually looking at this movie, part of me is like, they could have hired a lot of people to do this job. Another person who I think would have been perfect to do this movie is Dave Batista. except Dave Batista does not need to do this movie. Correct. Because he would have been like the perfect action-looking guy who could totally do the no lines, working totally with your body thing, and only through grunts and and gasps after a cool (laughs) sip of pop. Um, But at the same time, it's like, I wonder then why... Like I said, Dave Batista is probably out of the price point of the five million dollar budget. So then it's like, oh, when most Nick definitely, Cage,
1: most fucking definitely.
0: When this crosses his desk, what is he thinking? <laughs> he is probably thinking
1: that this seems like a really fun role or a challenging role because when Nicholas, because I know this much, when Nick Cage accepted Willy's Wonderland, it was under the pretext that there was no lines. He wanted okay. to do a film where he didn't have to do any lines, and he said he wanted to portray the film in a very German expressionistic sense. Interesting. Yeah, because apparently he's really into German expressionism. Like Captain Dr. or
0: Nosferatu, he's really into that shit. That I don't doubt. It's more the idea that this is at all close to German expressionism. <laughs> That's how he
1: approached the role. I'm not okay. saying he saw it in there, it's just Nick Cage approached it like that. And I mean, it kind of is interesting because he's, he is playing a character with no, with no dialogue. He's dialogue light in Mandy, but there's dialogue. There's lines. He is saying things. It's same with the the film after this pig. It's not a lot of dialogue, but he's saying things in this. It's zero. It's just, him as a purely physical actor. Yeah. And this is much closer to like John Wick in terms of just, he is beating the shit out of animatronics, or beating the shit out of stuff.
0: Yeah, so I don't know, a lot to consider in this one, ultimately that the cool factor is at 10, so we'll give it that. Yeah. And it thoroughly makes me believe that if if Cage was ever to approach something like this at a more mainstream scale, it should be proven the pudding that it would work. Because I think that what ultimately I think he would take away from this is that this should be the exact pitch piece I would take into, I don't know, if it was to go to a universal meeting, you know, Mm -hmm. and say, I have a project that's really interesting and I think could do, you know, you give us 50 million, we'll make 150 million, and here's why. Watch me play pinball with this really cool eighty synth wave in the background, drink a pop, and then I go into the next room and dismember an entire team of animatronic uh killers that are for some reason full of blood honestly because this was released on on
1: hulu mm-hmm. i think if this was released at those like midnight screenings and just got played up as one of those like oh it's a Nicolas cage b movie schlock piece but it's basically nick cage versus of nights at freddy's it probably would have made a lot more money how much yeah. did this actually make on its own i i'm curious now
0: From what I saw, the box office was just above, like, 400,000. And that's not counting whatever streaming it does, because I know that's ambiguous and not oft-quantified nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, I I have not heard much more than, like, passing mentions of this plus your excitement. So it's like, who knows, really? And with... Frankly, I do also think that with a better producing and directing team, this probably could have been a bit better, because there are bits of the technical bits of this movie where i'm like the production team beautiful i think they mastered like and got perfect the style for the the animatronics and how to do those i also think the setting and the lighting they're doing is really high end also good sometimes the actors are very rigid and awkward and in the script need probably needed a little bit more work in the dialogue sense nick cage not having any lines probably helped this more than it hurt it that's for sure mm. As well as, like, for some reason, the the movie, for most of it, stays in, like, this single, wide lens that kind of doesn't work at times for very technical reasons.
1: I've gotten into yelling matches with you and our our camera friend, Thomas, where we're shooting shorts. And I'm like, guys, not everything needs to be in a 24 wide. We can use a 50 every once in a while. And I've been
0: shot down every time. Listen... Uh, uh, Because I know one situation you're specifically talking about, and it's one thing to experiment with a uh, particular uh, visual style. And, you know, I'll admit, not always is that going to be pulled off. You you probably... I think a wide lens needs much more babying and care to make it work on the screen than it does with, like, maybe a 50. Or then going further than that needs a similar down-the-spectrum babying and care. But they certainly should have used more than the 18 millimeter because and especially at an 18 millimeter that listen, I'm going to come out and say it. I believe it was just like a Rogan and prime or something that is just like a, a consumer level prime lens. Because at times there's like aberration in the corners and, and warping that it's just like, why would you do that to yourself? Maybe, maybe to set up a disorienting feel for the rest of the movie, but I just don't feel like that was their intention.
1: This is, I mean, we got to remember it. This is a super like low, low budget film. Granted, $5 million, nothing to laugh at, but think about all the production value they had to pump into this movie. Hiring all the other actors, Nick Cage included, and I believe this is a director's first go at it, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Uh, Director Kevin Lewis, let's see what what good old kevy has been up to. Uh, He has 11 credits as director, and does have things coming after this, which will be interesting uh before willies wonderland did not work in, since 2007 2007 on film, yeah on a film called the third nail um most of these projects are probably of no consequence i would be interested in andrew jackson white elk which is uh from 1998 i don't really know what that is i feel a lot of these have to be like short films like i
1: i don't know if these are if these be, are feature right? productions, oh wait, no, one of them is is a feature production. What the fuck? This well,
0: guy, yeah, is cause, uh, strange. The the projects he has coming after this seem to be all horror films. Because Lutton was a horror film, this Dark County horror film, and I'm, I'm imagine the the Accursed, probably a horror film with a name like that. All the posters look interesting. I don't know. We'll be interested to see what Kevin Lewis does next, sure. But, you know, that's that's Willie's Wonderland. A, a fun stop on this this excursion through Nick Cage Land. And, and our final stop pulls out all the stops. Yes. For the dramatic masterpiece that is Pig.
1: Which I feel uses all the other stuff we've seen in the previous movies and kind of combines them we have nick cage as this very physical actor him being able to portray a lot of emotion in abject silence and him being able to really internalize grief and emotionality is a very interesting performance yeah why he should win best picture he should
0: win best um actor for this right Best actor, absolutely. Yeah. Because I could see why this wouldn't win something like a best picture, necessarily. Because kind of, unfortunately, to the detriment of the film, it's a little too short, you know? it Like, it's a cool 90 minutes, but I think giving it a little bit more room would help some people. Yeah. Especially when there are some really paced, incredibly well scenes that would lend itself to a bit of a longer movie. You know, you say this in like voice control and body control or two things are just triple A for Nick Cage in this movie, especially in a particular scene where, yeah, he's come out of the wilderness and he looks like a madman, but he goes to the restaurant of a former protege who was even just like a pasta chef in his kitchen. So you would hardly remember this guy as the, the sous chef in any kitchen, but he like remembers him exactly. And it goes into this monologue, like, dissecting the guy in this, like, Bafo posh, new wave, luxury cuisine restaurant. And it's so good. Oh, my God. Because the monologue happens and the sound cutouts. The sound design in this movie is excellent in itself. But when that silence hits and it just gets you to focus and uncage like the other character opposite of him. Oh my god. And it's one of those things where he's just telling him he's like what did you want to be? You didn't want
1: to be this. You didn't want to be this guy who's doing all these weird fusion restaurants. You wanted to open up a pub. What happened to that dream? And he's like no one wants pubs anymore. Come on. Pubs aren't aren't making money. People want this. People want people want this. And he's like what was it going to be your main dish? And he was like uh, corned beef and hash. Uh, it's, God damn it! And it—he breaks <laughs> down because it's this yeah. confrontation of like you've given up your dreams for recognition, and that is the death of you as a human. And it's so just uh, Kino,
0: fucking yeah. art, dude. It's like the the pointed aggression of Glengarry Glenn Ross meets the silent calculation of the master. You know what I mean? It's so good. I don't know, man. But, you know, that film is dotted with these, like, really powerful moments uh, in which we kind of just see this character focus in and break down repeatedly. And especially in that, like, the climactic scene of this film when we see Cage make a, a, a gourmet meal that he remembers specifically from the night of the antagonist and his wife going on a date mm-hmm. that just about revived their relationship before some other things i don't know i won't want to spoil this film too much because it's like this is still in theaters by the way oh yeah and you should go see it you should absolutely go see it go see it right after I finish this you, why please. not you don't have anything going on in your life um but like that and then that like it takes that that uh that emotional depth that happened in the previous scene we talked about and puts it over here that just like refreshingly takes a climax against an antagonist from a movie, which over the past decade and a lot of films has felt like it has to come into a knockdown drag out fight and just comes into this like water balloon popping tearful breakdown in which finally two characters connect in a way that I was like, Jesus,
1: the villain and the hero hit each other not, like, to beat each other down, but on this emotional level that I'm like, I fucking can't right now. Yeah. I wanted Nicolas Cage, but it's John Wick with a pig. And I didn't get that. I think that was probably the worst thing about this movie is the marketing. Because they they marketed this like it was Nicolas Cage, but it was John Wick with a pig.
0: I agree because initially when I saw the trailer, I was like, this is Nicolas Cage in a movie where it's like recluse lives in the forest and brings out the the forest dwellers to apocalyptically take over like posh society i don't know the, the trailer was certainly interesting it got me interested because yeah the the name the name brand of nicholas cage combined with truffle hunting was i was like i have to see that right nick cage the movie star it seemed like there was a high concept worth buying into and i still think so i mean if anything After seeing it, I'm like, I don't know what I thought before, but this is way better than that. So, this kind of brings me to a final point in our conversation about Nicolas Cage. Okay. We've discussed these four movies, and, you know, there's a a laundry list on his IMDb to go through. What one of these four do you think is the one you would recommend, the one you would stay away from, and what on the IMDb do you think you want to go see next?
1: Oh, okay, okay. So, out of the four... Which one yeah, should you fuck, see? Marry, kill. Which one should you see?
0: Which one should you, like, avoid? And what was the other one? Uh, what one do you want to go see next from the movies you haven't seen? That okay, that okay. You should...
1: It's hard because I'm like, I want people to see either Mandy or Pig. Because I think those ones are the head and shoulders best. Definitely... Okay, I'll say go see Pig. Because that movie needs love. That movie is is... It might be a masterpiece. That movie's amazing. Okay. Mandy, I think you should also go see it. That'd be my tight number two. One you should avoid, out of the four we've talked about, I'll probably avoid Willy's Wonderland. That one might be just... That one might actually just be a bad movie that's just fun because of Nicolas Cage. But the movie that I really want to see that is on the IMDb Nicolas Cage thing has to be, like, some something he's done, like, a long time ago probably con air. Cause I've never seen it. Oh my God. I've never seen con air. I have no idea what it's about except the line. Give me the bunny. I have no idea what the context of that. I don't know what it is. I just, yeah, I've never seen con air. So
0: I'll probably seek that out. But what about you? Okay. Real quick. My elevator pitch to convince you to see con air. Think of the ridiculous character he plays in Willy's Wonderland. Yes. Add some lines on top of it. Put it in an explosive shootout in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and you have what is nearly the best cheesy movie I've ever seen. Ooh, that is high praise. Check it out. I, I definitely agree that that is one you should see. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think. You know, I could recommend Pig again. We're in the middle of October, and I also think that because of pacing problems, ultimately I can't deny this other movie. I'm gonna recommend Mandy. Because I think that Altogether is as close to a masterpiece auteur movie you're going to get nowadays. Mm. Like Cosmotos or whatever the fuck. Cosmatos. Galactus. Panos Cosmatos. You fuck. Yeah. Cool space name. Uh, Panos Cosmatos. You know, the style and intention and vision come together in that movie in a way that's just undeniable. Oh, yeah. On top of Cage's incredible performance, um, I'm going to have to say stay away from Color Out of Space. Really? Willy's Wonderland still has that redeeming quality of being fun. And Color Out of Space might be the one where it's like you would go into it with a little bit of existential dread out of it and not with like the ultimate director's vision. Do I like it? Yeah. I-, I love like the colorful motion graphics that you get in that movie that add to the feel. And I think overall... It's just that I think it's trying to do what Mandy does, but like just missing grabbing that bar. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can see that. I still think Colorado Space is a great movie. Sure. But it's kind of like last week with our discussion about Tatane, mm-hmm. where it's like this works for some people. For some people, it's just not going to work. I guess I can see that. That would be my thing. And my, I'm going to go see next out of the Nicolas Cage verse is I have never seen Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, which is a Werner Herzog, like, I don't even know what you would call it, like, exploitation crime film. There's a lot of coke in that movie. That's all I know about it. Yeah. So all I've heard about this movie is it's ridiculous, and, but in a good way, like where it's it's apparently a good movie, and that there is a deuce ex machina to fucking blow up all the rest of them That just makes it even more ridiculous. I don't know. I'm interested. I'm interested in Werner Herzog. I'll go see that next. Okay. I'm down. I'm down. It'll be interesting. I will be buying pre sale tickets for whatever Nicolas Cage does next. That's for sure.
1: (sighs) But yeah, I guess that gets us to the end here, Mr. David.
0: Yeah, it pretty much does again you know we're we're trying out plenty of different things out on the show and we might do we might do these deep dives every now and again we're like with nicholas cage or i know dean waiting on the, the tip of his tongue he's about to say we have to do the david lynch deep dive please and, god know. i want to do the david lynch deep dive it's so bad i've been obsessed with twin peaks for like weeks yeah so i think i think it's going to be interesting to see what happens next so next week, we're going to be looking at, uh, you know, continue along with our, our theme here in October of looking at horror movies. You know, this is what everybody likes in October. You'd like to be scared because this is the time of the year when things start to get scary and time seems like it isn't infinite. Uh, sure. You know, so we're going to be looking at this, this film from a movement called the Folk Film Movement. And I've been thoroughly fascinated with this for a while. Dina's certainly had his ear chewed off with my fascination about this. Yeah, but I'm you sure bring I'll it be. up like every week. I'll be paid back in spades on that day of mm-hmm. rep retrospective, that's for sure. But, we're going to be looking at this uh, sheet feeder from a YouTube channel, $5 Film School. There's a couple of filmmakers on there that, like, they're doing this thing where they're trying to make a bunch of these feature films, and I've just been fascinated by their work process and the, the products that come out of it, and kind of confirming if there is a film movement called the folk film movement going on right now anyway so it'll be the first part of probably several revisits to this idea in this movement but uh, you know i'll be interested because above all else it's a completely diy project uh and i'm interested in it yeah so.
1: it um reminds me of mumblecore I've seen nothing of the folk filmmakers, so
0: I'll be interested to, to deep dive into this one. So, yeah. Well, that's just about it for the Too Obscure for TV podcast this week. If you would like to keep up with this podcast and some other stuff we do, you can find us on our Anchor.fm link, where we have Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. Wherever you can find your podcast it's probably on there, as well as our YouTube channel, In The Frame. Where we post this podcast and other podcasts that Dean is a part of. Dean, if you would like. Uh, yeah, so the other two major podcasts that are on that channel that you can go and
1: see are the Film Club podcast. That's the one that me and my girlfriend, Miss Boo, do. Where we talk about nostalgia picks and kind of horror movies. They're a lot of fun. A very casual conversation. It sounds a lot like what would you would hear if two people we're talking about a movie and you overheard them in a bar. The other one we have is the Film Odyssey podcast. That's the one me and my brother do where currently we are going through the AFI Top 100 talking about each film as it goes along and seeing if they still hold up. Are they any good? Are they... Mm, maybe the best films ever made but it's a
0: lot of fun deep talk discussion. So come and check it out. We're big Randy fans over here. <laughs> Uh, and other than that, you know, keep up with us wherever you find podcasts or on the YouTube channel. And um, can't wait to see you again next week for Sheep Theater. Dean, it was a pleasure. Peace. See ya.